What's your favorite scary movie? podcast where 220 something lgbt's talk the horror movie of the week real life crime or events and if it deserves to be an honorary gay film or at least that's usually what this is uh i'm kate just kate this week Elle is unfortunately um ill and not able to record but i wanted to once again like put, just put something out there so that we can keep a weekly thing going and so i decided to once again just copy what all the other horror podcasts are doing and do a top of the decade list for y'all. So that's what, instead of a movie of the week and true event, the format's going to change a bit again, but I, I promise you we will get back to the regular format after all of this. But uh, I just thought it'd be fun too, because like who doesn't love uh, sharing their opinions? And I definitely have many, especially when it comes to horror of the decade, because... There's more than you might think. That's why this initially was supposed to be just a top 10 and it turned into, oh, well, I'll have some honorable mentions and that just turned into a top 20. But I will be I will be quicker with 11 through 20 because I, I don't want to talk for that long and I know you don't want to listen to just me talk for that long. So I'll just get right into it. Um, so number 20 is this film called Would You Rather that... Uh, I feel like it would pair great with Ready or Not or something, but it's about this um, rich, eccentric rich man played by Jeffrey Combs who steals this show and owns this show, and it is it is just his show. It's the Jeffrey Combs show, even though he's not the lead in it. It's Britney Snow. But, so Britney Snow and these other people are invited to this rich guy's house, and he's gonna pay them a bunch of money if they do what he wants and pl- gives into his games and they think it's gonna be innocent enough, but it turns into a literal deadly game of would you rather? Like, complete with, like, a, a man having to hold a lit firecracker in his hand. It's like... <laughs> and my, my dude Robin Lord Taylor's in it from Gotham, playing Jeffrey Combs' son, which is perfect. It's just... I It's it's on Netflix. I just It's just a fun time. Definite warning for eye horror. I know that's one of Elle's things, and that's literally, like, the cover is... And Virgil Kaj, my dude from Agent Carter, doing that. I'm, I'm giving spo- This is not going to be a spoiler-free episode, nor is it ever. But just, okay, just heads up. Um, number 19 is this anthology movie called Chillerama. I usually, you know I hate anthology movies usually. Um, but this one, I don't know. This is one of those things that just caught me at the right place at the right time. It's a, a, like most things horror, my brother introduced me to it. Um... So it's, it's four different movies that take place. The, the main plot is that this drive-in is closing. And these are the, the movies in it are what's being played at this drive-in. But then that also turns into its own zombie film, which is really fun. Um, but my favorite from the bunch is this... <laughs> it's this gay musical called I Was a Teenage Werebear. Where, you guessed it, like become becoming a werebear or werewolf is an allegory but it's not subtext about for being gay and like discovering your identity and uh it's, it's just um i don't know how to describe it 
it just watch it. I don't know. Oh, also Tim Sol- Tim Sullivan directed it, who also did like two thousand one Maniacs. So one of the many uh, gay directors I'm trying to give a shout out to on this podcast and on this list. But I just I don't know. So you know, like fuck subtlety is what I say sometimes. Sometimes it's just like, well, what if we just used? Because horror is full of allegories, and always werewolves can be used for so many different allegories, and where where bear is just a, a take on that, and um, Lin Shay plays a take on the. This is the term they use, but gypsy like woman in the original Wolfman. So she's doing her best like open sky uh, imitation, and she's just great. She's definitely gonna pop up on this list again. So yeah, Chillerama for nineteen. I'm not going as quickly as I thought I would with these. Anyways. Okay. Number 18 is Crimson Peak. I'm I'm only putting it this low because I don't really consider it as much horror. And I know even Guillermo del Toro doesn't. and Because that, that was kind of its downfall even. Is that it's really a gothic romance. And that's what he's described it as. But I think there's enough horror elements to allow it on this list. Especially like the incredible ghost design in it. Um, and just, God, the, it, it's just fucking beautiful. The aesthetics and the design of everything. The excuse to have all that red because it's like the clay being made, but it looks like blood. Like, oh, I get it. Um, and just excellent performances all around, especially Miss Jessica Chastain just getting to f- snap. <laughs> um, 17. I put Happy Death Day. I actually like the sequel more, but that one's more sci-fi. This is the more just straight-up horror and an ode to the slasher genre. And Tree is such an incredible modern final girl. I won't go into it too much because for the stuff that we've done on the podcast and quite a few of those are going to show up, I won't go too much into. But that's... It's the Groundhog Day is horror one. You know? (laughs) Um... 16, another one that appeared in the show is Cooties, about the the outbreak of infested children from a an infected chicken nugget that are attacking their teachers. I just think, I, I love horror comedies, and I think this is one of the best horror comedies to come out of the decade. And seeing it with, like, an opening audience at the Arclight was just such an experience, because everyone was there and just vibing and, like, got it. I feel like if I had seen this just, like a matinee later on well it didn't last long but later on the run it wouldn't have been as fun to watch but i it's one of those things that i love showing to people that haven't seen it because most people haven't heard of it and it's on hulu now or at least it should still be number 15 is something near and dear to my heart it's called the pact and it's this lovely ghost movie that no one ever knows about i only heard about it because katie lots is in it she's the star she is my wife she is not my real wife. I sometimes I call her that, and people think I'm serious, and it's like I I truly wish. But she's uh she plays Sarah Lance on Legends of Tomorrow and previously Arrow. But she plays this gal who her mom just passed away, uh, her abusive mom just passed away, and it, she refuses to go to the funeral at first. But it is just her sister that's there and taking care of the house and all the arrangements. But then her sister disappears, and so she finds like all right, so she goes to investigate. And it's just, and, oh yeah, there's a ghost in the house. But, (laughs) and, so I won't give away the twist in this, but there's a twist in this that just, I've seen other movies since then 
do it and not do it as well or as effective. And this also uses the trope that I love of, like, the ghost in something helping someone rather than hurting them. Like, the go- the ghost- ghost in this does plenty of harm, too, but I don't know. I just love that trope. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, the pack. It's just- oh, and it was filmed in my hometown and in San Pedro, so that's another reason near and dear to me. Uh, find it if you can. For some reason, I can only ever find the shitty sequel that you should avoid at all costs. Um, okay, so 14 is Raw, the the French film about the student that, the vegetarian student that goes to veterinarian school, and as a part of hazing, she has to eat a piece of, like, kidney or something, like, and it t- t- kind of turns into cannibalism. Um, this, this would probably be higher, except I've only watched it once, that's honestly the only reason. But I remember being just so struck by it, and everyone, everyone was talking about it when it first came out. I remember at the New Art in LA, they were handing out barf bags to people, which I, I watched, and I'm like, I did not need a barf bag for that, but that was great. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's all, it's just all about, you know, it's a metaphor for, like, female awakening and sexuality and everything, and what can happen when you're repressed up until then, and then you get to this point where the world is completely open to you, and I just, yeah, I want to watch it again, but I thought I should include it on here, because it's, it's definitely left an impact on me, even after one viewing. Can't wait to see what the director does next, if they fucking let her do something again. But, okay, so 13 is another movie we discussed on here, is American Mary by the Shaska Sisters. You know or you love her, Mary, the the sexual assault survivor who turns to body modification after she has to drop out of med school. Um, the only reason I rated it so low is because the ending still kind of irks me. But I, I, it's definitely one of my faves. Uh, Catherine Isabel is everything to me. And I, I kind of get, like, watching the trailer for um, that new Carrie Mulligan movie... I can't remember the name of it right now, but it, it gives me American Mary vibes because she's also a med student out for revenge on creepy-ass men. So good for her. Good for all of them. Um, number 12, Taking of Deborah Logan. Another, another one that's been on here. Are you sensing a pattern? I, I just had to include it because as the, like the one found footage movie I can actually stand and think is genuinely good and terrifying. And I, I think Adam Robitel is such a budding and talented voice in horror. Uh, did I, oh, yeah, did I mention Adam Robitel's in I Was a Teenage Weaver? I think that's what I was trying to say and then I started stuttering. But he's like an actor in it and he dies and is killed by Werebear Dong in it. So watch out for that. Uh, great man. Um, 11, I put Upgrade, which again, something that is only so low because it's not just purely horror, it's way more sci-fi, but I just, the, the, the sci-fi and futuristic idea in near future movies of, like, the technology, I think is terrifying and could classify it as partially a horror movie, and there's certainly enough gore in it, and practical, the practical effects in this man like, horror doesn't use practical effects nearly as much as it should, and I really appreciated that Lee did all of that. Um, for those who haven't seen it, it's, it's in, set in the near future, and Logan Marshall Green plays this man who's, like, a purist and loves- he uses, like, analog everything. He doesn't want to submit to futuristic technology and everything, and he fixes up cars for a living. 
he ends up on the way back from this like tech guru client of his the self-driving car goes berserk that he and his wife are in and crashes and then his wife is killed by these guys in the aftermath and he's paralyzed and so the tech guru that he was hired by puts this thing in him that helps him walk again but it also talks to him and it's this like AI intelligence that's inside of him and talking to him and that decides to help him solve his wife's murder but it can also alter and take over his movements so he is able to like kick ass and it's great <laughs> but that I, I again I got to see this not just opening night I got to go to the premiere one of one of like <laughs> I don't know how I did that but I got to go to the premiere and the audience was going buck wild during that first kill where he, he like, it's the first time Stem takes over for him and he puts this knife in this guy's jaw and just like pulls it back and it's a practical effect of course and like the sound it makes, everyone was just like, we were all losing our minds. It was just one of the best theater going experiences of my life and so I had to include Upgrade. I think it's brilliant and Lee, Lee Winnell's another voice in horror that you can't talk about modern horror without talking about him and what he's doing. And I cannot wait for Invisible Man. Okay, so we're in the top ten now. Um, for number ten, I put Mike Flanagan's Hush. Um, this is... <laughs> it's always unfortunate when, like, the first piece of art that you are exposed to by someone... It turns out to be your favorite of theirs, and nothing adds up. Nothing, like, <laughs> this is my favorite Mike Flanagan movie, and like, every, and I was the first one I saw. And I'm like, what else has this guy done? And like, everything since has been fine or better, but like, nothing has been as good as Hush to me, at least. But that's just my opinion. But so, Hush is a, it's like a pretty standard home invasion movie, but the the gimmick or twist in this is that the gal is is deaf. Um, I shouldn't call it a gimmick because it's a very nuanced movie. But but so this author is, uh, you know, goes to this house in seclusion so that she can just write and focus and everything. But she's targeted by this man who, you know, we just assume. It, 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 there's, it's one of those things where there's no answers it's just like, he's there to kill her, that's the, the, the danger is happening, and sometimes that's all you need, you know? Um, and I, I noticed a lot of people, like, complained about him taking off the mask so early, but I saw it as, like, I'm like, nothing's more terrifying than just a white man, especially a white man who just wants to come into your house and kill you. So, like, I liked what the mask does for the imagery at first, and it certainly scares the shit out of you, but then he's, he's just as terrifying with the mask off, I think. Um, and I also like that, I think I maybe responded a lot because it reminds me of Wait Until Dark, which was, for some reason as a kid, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I, like, really like Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn, uh, where she's a, a blind lady dealing with home invaders. Yeah, home invasions just scare the shit out of me. I think that's wh why this movie's so poignant to me. Like, I, wa I first watched it in a room full of people and was still looking over my shoulder like, fuck, like, John Gallagher Jr. is gonna kill me. <laughs> so yeah, hush, number ten. Number nine, I put Always Shine, which we technically did for this show, but it's the lost episode, and I, I still think about it sometimes. 
Oops. But it's a... God. Directed by Sophia Takal, who most recently did the Black Christmas remake. Um, but it's about these two friends. They're both actresses. Um, and one's, like, a tad more successful than the other, but still definitely has to go through a lot of shit just to get roles. Uh, but the other one's, like, jealous of her status because she's still, like, has a leg up and is always considered, like, the pretty one, even though the other one is Mackenzie Davis, and I cannot believe that Mackenzie Davis is the ugly one in anything. <laughs> but yeah, and so they go on this, like, weekend retreat that just quickly goes to shit because of just, like, the jealousy that exists and resentment that exists in the relationship, and it's all just about the darker sides of female friendship. I just really like the performances in it, both of them. I And I just... I think Sophia Decal really has a voice and the... I'm, I'm sad that more people didn't go to see Black Christmas because there's something that you lose or gain... I, there's something you gain, I think, with, with women directing horror, especially when it's about female friendships. That, like, obviously a man couldn't have made this, that's all. I don't know. Uh, no number eight uh, is Cabin in the Woods. This is, like, this is definitely our decade's, like, not just, like, nostalgia trip, but, like, I guess meta. Like, this was kind of the beginning of, well, not beginning of meta horror, at least for this decade. Um, because... Anytime you want to do something like that, you have to one-up everything. And, like, Scream obviously pointed out all the tropes, but... Like, tropes in horror. But in this one... It, like, gives explanations for the tropes. Which I found fascinating. So it's about these... It's the simple setup of a, for college students, friends... Or is it five? Group of college students going up to a cabin in the woods. But it turns out they are being monitored and their actions are being altered by like drugs and things in the air um so that it carries out a certain way and <laughs> the the people in charge are richard jenkins and bradley Whitford, who are fucking hilarious in this this is such a quotable movie like i still say tequila is my lady all the time um but it's it's such a smart film and it gets the ending just gets balls to the fucking wall like I never knew what was gonna happen next uh if you haven't seen it please do I, I think I think most people have seen it I was so bummed that there was a maze for it at Halloween Horror Nights but only in Florida not out here in LA we're all suffering out here <laughs> number seven is a hot take I guess because it's um purge anarchy I I still I don't give a shit. I absolutely love all the Purge movies. I don't give a shit about subtlety, especially in this world we're living in. Like the first three were made pre forty five, um, and this is one of them. But this this one's still just my personal favorite. I especially just because I consider it the best Punisher film ever made that isn't about the Punisher, but Frank Grillo is literally playing Frank Castle in this, and he is doing a great job. But it also was the first, because the first, not the movie The First Purge, but the first Purge movie in the series, like the Ethan Hawke one. They didn't really have the budget to go outside of the single unit, like, home invasion movie aspect of that universe, so this was the first 
one in the series that really got to expand out onto the streets and see what people were doing and also really explore, like, the social and political elements of everything because this is where you find out that the Purge is literally, like, targeting people of color, targeting minorities, targeting poor people, and going to great lengths to make sure that they are the ones that die during the Purge. And... Like, I don't know how you can argue with something like that. I know it's not subtle, but it's it's fascinating. And it's like, yeah, that's just like one minor step above what's happening now. I mean, how can you not say that minorities and poor people aren't being targeted by their government right now? <laughs> like, they are. It's just this is a slightly more extreme version of it, but not by much. Anyways, I love the Purge movies. I don't give a shit. Purge Anarchy. Uh, so number six is Revenge. Um, another, another French film. Uh, this movie, this movie, if you haven't seen it, oh my god. So, so first of all, obviously, huge trigger warning for sexual assault because that's what this movie is about. It's about this gal that goes for a weekend away with her boyfriend and his friends show up awkwardly. Like, oh yes, we're here to go hunting later. And while he's away, one of, his friend sexually assaults her while the other one just like watches and walks away and then when she's like when he gets back he takes his friend's side and they try to kill her and leave her for dead just in the middle of the desert and she gets her revenge on them hence the title but it there's so many like artistic eyes and horror happening and this is I can't describe the aesthetic of this movie. It's so, like, fake and colorful, but gorgeous and gross at the same time and bloody. And it, it gets, like, and also, oh, God. The ending is, a, is another, like, subversion of horror tropes because it's a naked man running around in his own blood while she's chasing him. And I've never wanted to fist pump so much in my life than watching the end of this movie. And it's a total good-for-her movie. <laughs> it's on Shudder right now because they, they picked it up it was a neon movie but Shudder picked it up so please just please just watch Revenge we'll probably do an episode on it eventually okay number five this is where it's gonna a, a few of these are gonna be like well yes obviously because like I don't know I tried to make this both a personal list but also covering the ground of like what's really left an impact in the decade. So number five is The Babadook. And I, I th this, as much as I enjoy the cultural impact post-movie of like gay icon The Babadook, I don't think I'll ever get over that. But this movie, this, it's truly a masterpiece. It's it's a masterpiece of, of grief and motherhood. And I think Jennifer Kent's a goddamn genius. And this is an, uh, this is a movie that really had to grow on me because at first at first it was so hyped up and I didn't I don't think I fully understood it and it's I didn't find it scary for some of the reasons others might because I don't find like the Babadook it's himself or herself scary but the things that happen in this movie and that the mom is going through and like what she's struggling in herself is like terrifying to me like all the grief she's going through and the mental illness that's that's a that's just fucking terrifying to me. And so this movie just really grew on me and it's definitely one of the best of the decade. So that's why it's number five. Number four. 
The Invitation, directed by Kara Kusama. I know Jennifer's Body's probably still my favorite of hers, but I, I think this is her best work. It's, it's her most, like, mature work. It's about, it's, it's about this dinner party in L.A. that goes wrong, but it doesn't go wrong to the very end. And the way that she handles the slow build and the tension of everything, and, like, the one character in it that senses that something's going on, but no one believes him, and it, it just keeps finding excuses as to why no one should believe him that, that totally make sense and add up, like, in context. But since it's, like, from his point of view and you're on his side, you're like, no, oh my god, he's right. Like, something is wrong. We don't know what, but something is definitely wrong. Um, and it's also, it's a very L.A. movie, and I, I'm born and raised in L.A., and I was literally living, like, not in the Hollywood Hills, but at the bottom of the Hollywood Hills, like on Franklin, when I first watched this movie, and I was like, oh, I need to move right now by the end of that movie. That that final image of all the, the red lanterns, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, that, it's another thing, like the purge, I'm like, I don't know how too far away we are from that. Uh, so yeah, the invitation, Karn Kusaba's God. That's all I gotta say. Um, number three. Could have been one of two movies. I'm going to pick the first Insidious. Because just based on just the impact that it's had. And it, it, it sneaks just in at 2010, so it is part of this decade. We we all know if you've listened that Insidious 3 is my favorite of the franchise. But as far as this list goes, I thought that I should make it the first one. Because I had to have a James Wan movie on here, and I like this more than the conjuring franchise but also because i can't ignore what a game changer this movie was and how it was well paranormal activity was like the start of Blumhouse, but this is when it was really starting to kick into gear and this was also james wan and leonel's return back to like low budget horror after they didn't like their experience with a studio with dead silence and everything and so this was them kind of going back to their roots and like okay what can we do again? It's like low budget, simple concept. And just the idea of astral projecting as horror is. And the world building that they create with the further, I just think is one of the most brilliant things ever done in horror, not just in this decade. And also the use of Tiny Tim in a horror movie is brilliant. I um, mean, I, I spent four hours talking about Insidious, so I probably shouldn't say much more. But you know, you know me. But yeah, that's number three. So number two is Get Out. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking Get Out. You don't need another white person to tell you how great and important and culturally significant, but also just like what a goddamn masterpiece Get Out is. Like, it's Get Out. And Jordan Peele has just revitalized horror and reinstated how great horror can be when it's political. Because horror's always been political. Anyone that tries to tell you otherwise is fucking stupid. But horror's always been political. And this is, like, a wonderful example of what you can do with, with specifically with horror. How that's the only genre that can sometimes expand on topics and make them more reachable, more palatable. Because this movie was a phenomenon. I mean, this movie got nominated for Academy Awards. I couldn't believe it when a horror movie got nominated for academy awards and won i just 
I'm so happy for it. I had nothing to do with it, but I'm so happy for it. Um, and like, truly one of the scariest moments I've ever had in a theater was the end where the police car shows up. And I, like, was holding my breath. Like, oh, God. And when, when Lori Howery comes out instead of the cops, like, the whole theater was like, yes! Like, that's just, oh, you can't beat that. <laughs> yeah, get out. <laughs> Heard of it. Okay. This is going to be the biggest take. I've already... <laughs> I included this... I included a few of these on my top of the decade list, but when people saw how high this was on my decade list, they were like, what the fuck? <laughs> Not just for horror, but this was on, like, my general decade list. But so my number one is your next. Because I could not tell you another horror movie that I... Of this decade that I show people more, that I introduce to people more, that I have more fun watching than this goddamn movie. It is fun it is smart it has plenty of blood plenty of effects plenty of it like home alone style booby traps but for horror and it has my favorite final girl of the decade tree's like a close second i think but like sharni vincent in this is just something like not just because like it gives an excuse to like the asshole men that are like how could a woman ever survive that it's like well fuck you first of all but like in this it's like what if we gave our final girl the advantage of um living on an australian survivalist compound for the first 14 years of her life and the people that are trying to kill her do not know this uh, it's just it's a very fun and empowering thing to watch i still i just and um, again very quotable you have to be quotable for a horror comedy and i quote this too often but yeah i don't know this is obviously a personal choice this is probably not the best horror film of the decade but it's my best horror film of the decade i wish i could have i tried to stick to only one director for each thing otherwise i would have given a shout out to the guest too but this is just slightly above it and definitely more of a straight up horror movie um so that's my list i hope i didn't ramble or stutter too much this was, again, a last-minute thing, but I tried to be more organized than last week with the shit show of the best of 2019. <laughs> Thank you all for listening and sticking with us. I hope everyone has been having a great 2020 so far. Um, you can find me at Dyke Madden on Twitter. You can find the show on at Horror Time Pod on Twitter. There's an email we have. I don't know. L has it. <laughs> I hope that we're all see you again next week when we're up and running again have a great week